Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Keep on moving through the Beatitudes. I've really enjoyed this study so far. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it at least a little bit as much as I have. Of course, I have the privilege of being able to, to put in the study and sit and read and think and pray and ponder about this. And uh, although I guess you guys could do that too because it's pretty predictable where I usually go the next week. It's uh, at least for the last few weeks, it's just been the next verse. So I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, but it's not just a personal venture. I think the Lord is teaching us uh, much through this Sermon on the Mount and specifically right now through the Beatitudes. This morning, I've had, I have to admit, I've had a little frustration with technology, and uh, I usually have my notes on a tablet, like an iPad, and I usually have a slideshow. This morning, neither one of those things are working, so we don't have a slideshow for you. Uh, if you have a bulletin, there is an outline handout, so you can follow along there, and uh, I will have to say that I am, I am using paper notes, which is different for me, so I'm sorry if, I, uh, if it really throws me for a loop. And uh, maybe it's good to be humbled every once in a while, and uh, maybe that's what God is trying to do this morning, but uh, I think we'll make it, and we'll pray that God will use this time together, and uh, let's do that right now. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your mercy. This morning, we are going to study your blessing on the merciful because we shall receive mercy, and we know we have received mercy, and we're receiving mercy right now, and there's more mercy to come, and you call us to let that mercy flow out of us as well to others. May we get a little glimpse this morning of, of what you're talking about, Jesus. May we see you and your mercy. May we see how that might be lived out. We know that it stems from you. It flows from you, Lord. We can't exist a moment without your mercy. I'm being reminded of that even this morning, that each step, each breath, each action must be filled with your mercy, Lord, and I'm thankful for it. So bless us as we study now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you are either a part of my generation or maybe you have children my age or grandchildren or whatever around my age, there's a good chance that you are familiar with the most famous Presbyterian minister in the 20th century. Does anybody have any idea who I'm thinking of? Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Many people probably know that, but we forget about it. Uh, Mr. Rogers, the famous Mr. Rogers who was on TV for years, was actually an ordained Presbyterian minister, and uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was one of my favorite television shows as a young boy, and it was probably one of the more popular uh, educational television shows ever to air, and it aired for years. And of course, Mr. Rogers is remembered for his kind, uh, his gentle, and his teaching personality. Now, he died in 2003, but his, his legacy lives on, of course, in our memories, and uh, just a couple years ago, there was a Tom Hanks movie made about Mr. Rogers and his, his life and his legacy. And in that movie, there's a quote by Fred Rogers that he says that when he was a boy and uh, when he was scared or he was, would hear discouraging stories on the newscast on the radio, his mother would say to him when he was sad, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. 
And uh, Mr. Rogers said that was always a, a comforting thought whenever he would be discouraged or, or frightened, even in his adult years, when he would see troubling things happening in the world, he would look for the helpers. Now, perhaps that comfort has something to do, maybe a little bit, I'm not saying it's everything, but it has something to do with what Jesus is speaking of here in this beatitude when he tells us of a blessing on the merciful. The Beatitudes kind of take a little bit of a shift here. Uh, I think Jesus really is, is building a progression. I don't think it's just a series of unrelated blessings, but a progression or maybe an unveiling of what it looks like to have come to know and walk with God. Matt mentioned last week that the first Beatitudes are, are kind of passive. They show an emptiness. They show a realization of a, a less than desirable condition. There's a lowliness, and the blessings that come to those people are surprising because it doesn't seem to fit the pattern. It's not the normal expectation. The poor in spirit, for instance, realize their poverty, but they're blessed in that. The, the mourners mourn over unrighteousness and sin, but they're comforted. The, the meek realize they can't stand in their own confidence, yet that's promised that they will inherit the earth. The first three Beatitudes reveal lack or want. The fact that we are missing something. Yes, an emptiness. Now everyone experiences this emptiness. We're born into it. But in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they who mourn, blessed are the meek, there's a realization of it, a, a coming to terms with it, if you will. Everyone has the emptiness, and most probably realize it to some degree, but blessed are the ones who have truly revealed to them the depth of that emptiness. And if the first three Beatitudes indicate lack, then the fourth one, which you looked at last week, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that indicates a desire. So we're moving from a, a lack to a desire, an emptiness to a longing. Now we know we are missing something, and we know that we're missing something significant in terms of our walk with God, our relationship to the Creator. Then we find ourselves with a desire, a hunger, yes, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And hunger does indicate a lack. It also indicates an emptiness. When we're hungry, we want to eat because our bellies are, are starving. But it also moves from just acknowledging lack to doing something about it. We want something to change. We desire, we hunger, and we thirst, Jesus says, for righteousness. That is, as we heard last week, everything wrapped up in God, who he is, what he does, and what he says or decrees. We lack that kind of righteousness, but we desire it. We want it because we've come to see that God and his ways are good. And of course, the wonderful promise for the hungry in that sense is that they will be filled. So the Beatitudes then have taken us from the bottom, from the poor, uh, the bankrupt in spirit, to now being filled. They've taken us from uh, the bottom and led us to the place of fulfillment, which of course is all of God. And now it seems, as we continue into verse 7, that fulfillment leads to change, genuine change. The Beatitudes go from uh, being a passive condition to 
more of an active difference in our lives, a display of something good. Here in verse number 7, it is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is a display of newness, of fullness. New creation is the way that Paul speaks about it. To put it shortly, for the blessed ones, the ones who are in the blessed way, which we know, of course, to be the way of Christ, the call is to display mercy, and blessed are the merciful. Now, we all have received boundless amounts of mercy. The question is, what will we do with it? What will we do with it? I was reminded of a passage in Luke 12, uh, verses 47 and 48. It reads like this. That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him will be much required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. There's a principle. We see it there and we see it in Scripture. To whom much is given, much is required. We today have been given much mercy. Have you received much mercy from God? Well, if you're breathing, you have. Have you received much mercy from the hand of the Lord? Even more specifically, if you're his child, you have received the ultimate form of mercy in the gospel of Christ. And as we will see, every day is filled with new mercy from the Lord. So here's sort of the big idea for this morning. Mercy is given first and fully by God. Our display of mercy reflects God's merciful nature, and it reflects our knowledge and relationship with him. Our mercy reflects God's mercy. That's the way we could sum it up. So we'll keep with the same pattern that we've had for the last few weeks, and we'll ask a few questions. First, what is mercy? What is mercy? The word mercy is used hundreds of times in the Bible in our English translations. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word is primarily a Hebrew word, hesed, which at its heart, Speaking about God refers to God's unfailing love, his covenant faithfulness. It refers to that part of God's character and his nature in which he keeps his promises. He keeps his goodness. He keeps his love to us even when we are undeserving. It is unfailing love when we do fail. It is faithfulness even when we are unfaithful. In the New Testament, the word is a little bit different, but has the same kind of idea. It mostly means to have compassion, pity, or to be greatly concerned about someone in need. Many times in the gospel records, people will cry out to Jesus as he passes them by, be it a blind person, a, a sick person. What is their cry? Have mercy on me, Jesus. We hear that same cry in Jesus' parable of the two men who went up to the temple to pray. Remember one, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. And what was the tax collector's plea as he beat his breast? He couldn't even look 
to heaven, but he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. When I was a boy, growing up with two brothers who were older than me, uh, by eight or nine years, I could give many accounts of times in which I had to cry out, have mercy. <laughs> now, maybe that's a different kind of mercy on a different plane, but you get the idea. In all of those examples, what is the plea? It's a plea for pity, for compassion. It's saying, I am in need. I am helpless, and I need someone to cast their eyes on me and help me. Now, this is interesting to me because uh, the Beatitudes start to fit together here in an interesting way. What was the first Beatitude? It was a blessing on the poor or uh, those in poverty of spirit. They're spiritual, uh, or spiritually destitute and bankrupt condition. They were helpless in that sense. And what is the blessing here? It's a blessing on those who show help to the helpless. Compassion and pity to the pitiless. It's almost like it's coming full circle. Uh, the ones who were helpless have been helped by God, and now they help others. The ones who were poor in spirit have been lifted up by the merciful hand of the Lord, and now, in a lesser but still significant way, they extend mercy to those who are need. Those who receive mercy are to display Mercy. If you look at your outline, you'll see a few subpoints under the question, what is mercy? And the first thing we see is that God is merciful. Deuteronomy 4 tells us that the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. God is a merciful God by definition. It's who he is. He has unfailing love for the failing. He shows faithfulness to the faithless. He keeps covenant with those who continually fall. He shows pity and compassion to, to human beings, each and every one of which is in need of mercy. We read as a call to worship today from Psalm 103, and verse number 8 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This verse brings up a good question. What is the difference between mercy and grace? There's a lot of ways to explain the difference. Uh, for instance, grace is perhaps unmerited favor, where mercy is pity and compassion. Uh, grace, we oftentimes say, is getting what we don't deserve, where mercy is not getting what we do deserve. I like the comparison that one commentator made as I was reading. He said, grace is love when love is undeserved, and mercy is grace in action. If we think about it like that, mercy is grace in action. And we see that, yes, God is gracious and merciful. He places his favor upon us, and then he acts in that favor to give us mercy in our need. So God is merciful. Secondly, we are recipients of mercy. We really can say nothing of God's merciful nature apart from our experience of receiving mercy from his hand. 
Remember, before we can ever be or are ever merciful, God is merciful, first and foremost. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7 read this way. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is sort of an account, a, a receipt of our gift of mercy. It's, it's our salvation by grace through faith. Uh, this, Paul tells us, is a display of the riches and fullness of God's mercy. And that mercy, coupled with grace, really is a display of God's immeasurable kindness toward us. That is, those of us who were spiritually poor, we were mourning over sin and helpless in that. We are meek, not able to seek our own relief, hungering and thirsting after God. And God does not despise us in that position, but rather, He shows us His great grace and His mercy. As a side here, I hope that we never lose the joy and wonder at the realization of God's great mercy toward us. I know there are times in our life where our emotional joy may waver, it may wax and wane, it may come and go with the seasons, but I hope that the inner joy remains with you constantly and shows in your life. I hope that the joy of God's salvation because of his mercy displays itself as a hope and a peace that the world will see and wonder at. As the old song says, never lose the wonder of it all. Never lose the wonder of God's great mercy toward us. God is merciful. We are recipients of that mercy. And thirdly there, merciless, mercilessness, excuse me, betrays mercy. What do I mean by that? mercilessness betrays mercy. With our great reception of mercy, we have received incredible mercy, then we follow that scriptural pattern of to whom much is given, much will be required. In Romans chapter number one, toward the end of the chapter, Paul is speaking of those who have been given over to a debased mind, he says, because of their rebellion against God. We, we, won't, we can't speak of all of this now, but just to read uh, Romans 1, beginning in verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Now again, we won't go over everything on that list, but notice the very last word in verse 31. In my translation, it is ruthless. That word literally is without mercy. Mercilessness. In other words, mercilessness is a result or it's a sign of betrayal of God. Mercilessness is a betrayal of the mercy that God has displayed. 
When we show mercilessness in our life, we're showing not that we've received mercy, but that we've betrayed it, we've rebelled against it, we've run far from it. It's the opposite practice. Those who have received mercy, though, are called to be merciful. As Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So mercy is, is pity, it's compassion, it's help to the helpless, it's faithfulness and love to those who are without faith and those who are unlovely. We have received it first and most notably in the gospel of Christ, but we are called to give it out. So what does it look like then? What does being merciful look like? Which leads us to our second point. And that's an important question. It's important that we ask it that way because the blessing is for the merciful. That is, it is tied to those who not have, have not just received mercy, but those who are merciful by their nature as well. The characteristic of the blessed one here is that he is merciful. He is the, that who shows and displays mercy. So what does being merciful look like? Well, firstly, being merciful looks like Jesus. In Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18, we read, Therefore he, speaking of Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's look at that passage backwards a little bit. Jesus has suffered, and he's been tempted, and he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus can unite with and identify with us in our suffering, in our temptation, times when we need mercy. Going further up the verse, we see that this is part of his work of making propitiation or satisfaction on behalf of us as sinners. And that making propitiation is part of his work as the high priest. And in that role, Hebrews tells us that he is faithful and he is merciful. He is not a ruthless high priest. He is a merciful high priest. Jesus is unique in that he is both the giver of ultimate mercy, but in his display of mercy, he placed himself in the way of needing mercy. Think of it in his suffering, in his trials, in his temptations, and ultimately in his death, Jesus became everything that we are, even taking our sin on himself to give us mercy. So we could say that being merciful, first and foremost, looks like Jesus. Now, Jesus also displayed his mercy in a multitude of ways, in his healings, in his feeding, in his compassion, he had compassion on the poor and lame. He had compassion on the blind and the deaf. He had compassion on those who had lost loved ones. He had compassion on those who were caught in sin. He had compassion on the children and the elderly. He displayed his compassion really as his whole lifestyle. Of course, his compassion and his miracles were signs of who he was. But think of it. That's just it. His compassion, his mercy. It's a sign of who he is. He's God. 
the Son of God. So being merciful looks like Jesus. But secondly, being merciful looks like being a neighbor. Now, what do I mean by that? We won't read this whole passage again, but Matt read it earlier from Luke chapter number 10, the familiar story of the Good Samaritan, the traveler on his way, uh, stopped and he was beaten and robbed in his travels. A priest and a Levite, who were supposedly righteous men, walked by on the other side of the road. Perhaps they were too busy, perhaps they were disinterested, perhaps they were disgusted or reviled at this uncomfortable sight. Then the Samaritan comes by, and the assumption here in this culture is that the Samaritan was an enemy of this Jewish man, or a supposed enemy at least. But not only does he stop, and not only does he help, but he gives up his own goods. He gives up his own money. He, he gives his own mule to see that this poor man is taken care of. Now the question here is, why does Jesus tell this story? And he tells it in response to a question. Do you remember what that question was? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And in classic Jesus fashion, he flips the question on its head, and he tells us in this story that the important concept is not, who is my neighbor, but rather, am I neighborly? And after he tells the story, Jesus says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The one who asked the question said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Being merciful looks like being a neighbor. Now, I suppose we could say it the other way around, too, that being a neighbor looks like being merciful. But our call as reflectors of God's image is to show mercy. And mercy does not just reach out to those of whom it's expedient or easy to help, but rather it's to help any and all who need it. That, of course, is a reflection of God's mercy because none of us were attractive candidates. But listen, we were all qualified candidates in that we were qualified to receive help because we were helpless. So we too, Jesus tells us, are to show mercy. Being merciful looks like Jesus. Being merciful looks like being a neighbor. Being merciful looks like being a brother. Now, I'm not talking here about, uh, about being a brother in the sense that when I was troubled and tormented and, and uh, you know, really bothered by my older brothers that I needed mercy. Uh, I've grown past that. It's okay. But rather, being a brother in a spiritual sense. In the book of Jude, in verses 21 through 23, Jude writes this. He says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. Jude is speaking of our walk of faith. He's speaking of the way that we are to live. And he says we are to live in God's love. We are to wait for the mercy of Jesus. I think there he's referring to the second coming, 
that final display of mercy in which we're relieved from the cares of the sinful world. But in the meantime, Jude says, we are to have mercy on others, on those who doubt. Those who doubt what? Well, in this context, it's waiting for Christ. We are to show mercy by encouraging one another in the Lord. And he goes on to say we are to show mercy to some by snatching them out of the fire. That is, we are to be brutally honest with those who fall into sin. The third is similar. We are to show mercy to some with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. What Jude is getting at here is that many times as Christians, our mercy is displayed as brothers and sisters. That is, we see our brother or sister in spiritual danger, in a bad place, in a messy situation. And we show mercy by stepping in and helping them out of that place. The picture is of pulling someone from the fire, and that is a vivid image. It is that we love them so much that we are willing to step in, to risk even life and limb, even to the flames, to pull them back, to encourage them, to exhort them, to remind them of the Lord's goodness, of his faithfulness and his mercy. It's like Paul's call in Galatians, that when we see our brother overtaken in a fault, we are to restore them. That is mercy. You know what is not mercy in that situation? To ignore their fault. To ignore their trouble. To pretend it's not there. Oftentimes it's uncomfortable to show mercy when it requires stepping in to a messy situation. But remember, merciless betrays the very mercy that we have received. For what has our God done for us but stepped in literally to our filth, to walk in our steps literally, to become a man, to take on our nature, to go through the trials, the troubles that we have yet without sin so that he could be a merciful high priest. Mercy, mercifulness looks like Jesus, looks like being a neighbor, it looks like being a brother. Finally, as we wrap it up, what is the good news for the merciful? Psalm 18 verse 25 says, With the merciful you show yourself mercy. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. I think Jesus probably had that psalm in mind when he spoke this beatitude. We give mercy because we will receive mercy. And of course, as we've seen, we give mercy because we have received mercy. But as followers of Christ, as we live, as Christ calls us to be merciful, we're reminded that the promise is that we will receive mercy. Mercy is constantly, every day, flowing to us from God. It's as if we are standing in a stream of mercy. And as we receive daily that mercy from the Lord, both spiritually and physically, we also are to give, to pass on that mercy to others. Like we read in Jude, we are waiting 
for the mercy of Christ. We're waiting for that salvation to be fully displayed. And that is our hope. That is our reward. That one day mercy will reach into this sin-sick world and do away with all that causes harm. Do away with everything that causes sickness and sadness and death. One day mercy will draw us as followers of Christ into the full experience of the kingdom. We have received the promise, the guarantee of that mercy in the gospel. We have received, as, as the New Testament tells us, the down payment of that inheritance in the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for that final display of mercy, and we show mercy along the way. But we don't do it simply as those who do random acts of kindness. We don't do it because of guilt. We don't do it because of karma. No, we do it because of what we've received. And we are blessed in our displays of mercy. Because we shall receive a greater mercy than we could ever give out. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Lamentations chapter number 3. And uh, perhaps it is, this has been a helpful passage or a comfort to you. And uh, I was reminded of Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 22, which says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That is the blessing to the merciful. It's not that if we show mercy to others that we will be repaid and life will be good because it'll be an equal transaction between us and somebody else, us and somebody else. No, the, the blessing for the merciful is that ultimately our portion is God's mercy. Ultimately our portion is the Lord himself. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. His steadfast love never ceases. The Lord is our portion. We will hope in him. As we close, I wanted to go to one more passage of scripture. And it's later on in the book of Matthew in chapter number 25. In this passage, Jesus is speaking of of those of us who are waiting for him. He's speaking of his second coming. I'm going to start reading in verse 31. Listen to the way he speaks. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people on one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This, of course, is both an encouragement and a warning. An encouragement that as we live as followers of Christ, as we have received great mercy and we display that mercy to others, we are doing such before the audience truly of one, before the Father, before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it's a warning as well, because there is a sense in which if we look at our lives and we are merciless, then we have to wonder, do we know anything of God's mercy? Have we received it? Or do we squander it and ignore it? Do we take it as nothing or even laugh in its face? Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy.